And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast, where Steph Curry's injury on what I didn't really think was a dirty play by Marcus Smart, uh, to be honest with you, has thrown the Western Conference, the wild and woolly and not that great this season Western Conference, into a little bit of chaos with only 10, 12, 13 games, depending on the team left in the regular season before the playoffs. Uh, we're going to talk about Steph and the Warriors with Kendra Andrews of ESPN coming up shortly. Uh, the Warriors, of course, are third in the West, but this kind of cracks the door open. They could be fourth. They could be fifth, probably not sixth. And depending on what your view of all those other teams around them is, the difference between third and fourth slash fifth could be huge, which we'll talk about with Kendra. But amid all this, I find myself thinking a lot about that Clippers-Jazz series from last year's second round where the Jazz were up 2-0 and then the Clippers just rampaged over them for four straight games despite Kawhi Leonard getting injured early in the series with the Jazz getting absolutely rolled in game six on the road by a hail of Terrence Mann, of all people, three-pointers. Terrence Mann's good, by the way. I like that I like that guy a lot. Um, just every – you just never know in the NBA how many chances you're going to get I mean, even the Warriors, you know, have been waiting for Klay Thompson and Draymond Green and Steph Curry to play together for almost three years. They played like 11 minutes together this entire season. Even the Warriors, you just, you it's fair to wonder how many championships would they have won had they not signed Durant. But I think back to that Utah series because looming over everything in the West, the chaos from one to five, one to six, one to seven, if you want to include the Timberwolves, who just, I, I'm still reeling from how much SHIT they talked at the Lakers' expense. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a player of Russell Westbrook's caliber endure so much targeted humiliation in one game from the opponent as he did in Minnesota last night with Pat Beverly holding his nose and calling him trash with Carl Anthony Towns spending like nine seconds pantomiming, searching for a breeze or some other reason why Russ airball to jump. I mean, it wasn't a quick pantomime. Sometimes you got you see players duck and cover on the bench for like a second. Carl Towns went into just like a full-on SNL routine at Russ's expense. Um, so include them if you want. But it's just, I, I think back to that Utah series because looming over all of this is next season, if not the end of this season, most likely next season, the Clippers and the Nuggets are coming fully loaded to try to win the championship next season. And and at full health, good good luck dealing with those teams. So if you're Phoenix, if you're Golden State, if you're Memphis, you just never know how many better chances than this one you're going to get. And 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 by the way, get your laughs in at the Lakers now. And it's boy, is it fun to laugh at the Lakers because the Lakers have spent so much of their history beating the crap out of every other team in the NBA. History suggests you, you should probably laugh at LeBron when you have the chance because he's sitting there taking notes and he's still LeBron James and he's still one of the half dozen best players in the world. He might lead the league in scoring. He still has Anthony Davis in theory at some point next to him. Yeah, the Lakers have very limited means to get out of this Russell Westbrook disaster and retool their team. But the last time we poked fun at LeBron or doubted LeBron or sort of had some fun at the Lakers' expense, it ended a year later with LeBron saying, give me my damn respect from the bubble. 
history says LeBron is coming back next year somehow, some way. But then again, LeBron's history is starting to change a little bit. His four years with the Lakers. It's four years now. Can you believe that? His four years with the Lakers have gone injury-riddled first season, misses the playoffs. Second season, championship. Third season, injuries to both him and AD, first-round exit. Fourth season, injuries likely missing the playoffs, clinging to life in the play-in tournament. A race that has become so depressing that the Blazers cannot lose their way out of it, even though they're doing everything in their power to lose by 30 points every single night. So the LeBron history is changing. But you look at the, the, the landscape of the West. Phoenix has a little bit of team of destiny magic dust sprinkling around it right now. I wouldn't want any part of that team in the playoff series. They've been the, by far the best team in the league this season. I think they are deserving conference favorites and championship favorites. At the same time, the Warriors, as we're going to talk about with Kendra, have discovered a lot of new things about themselves. They're really, really good. I think they match up pretty well with Phoenix. I think that series would be a really, really great competitive series. Memphis, I've questioned it a little bit. Lots of people have sort of asked this, the, the big picture question. You know, they're so dependent on forcing turnovers and fast breaks. Not a great shooting team. Really dependent on offensive rebounding. Aren't those the kind of things that the best playoff defenses kind of kind of take away? Like, are we sure this team is as good in the playoffs as they are in the regular season when they're just sheer level of effort and physicality and tenacity is winning them games? And I think there is some truth to the idea that Memphis may be a slightly better regular season team than playoff team. I also think we're kind of overthinking this a little bit. The Grizzlies are just freaking awesome. They're good, and they're going to impose their will and impose the kind of things that make them good onto a fair number of playoff opponents at a high rate. Like, their fast breaks, their turnovers, the rebound, those things aren't just going to disappear. Not only that, I don't think enough is being made of Dylan Brooks coming back and replacing Zaire Williams in the starting lineup. I, in fact, I heard a lot of grumbling about, oh, boy. Dylan Brooks really likes to shoot. He is the king of the foot on the line, too, in the NBA. Is he going to like take so many shots as to screw up the ecosystem and the magic the Grizzlies have brewing? I just don't see that as a big problem. I get what people are saying. But if you look at the history of the NBA, there are just not many teams who get far in the playoffs starting, starting, not giving bit minutes to, starting an untested rookie shooting 30% from three. And that's no disrespect to Zaire Williams, who after a really bad first month has been a solid player for them. But you just don't see guys, even rookies trending the right way, starting and playing big minutes for teams with like actual finals ambitions. You see guys like Dylan Brooks starting for teams with actual finals ambitions. I think that's a big deal. I don't think they're going anywhere. And the reason I think about Utah a lot and that Utah Clippers series a lot is I, I look at Dallas. Dallas has found something with Dinwiddie and, to a lesser extent, Bertans, and really with, with no Kristaps Porzingis. They have an identity, they have a really good defense, and they have an absolute postseason assassin in Luka Doncic, who is playing at an MVP level. They're winning a ton of close games. They're, they, and if they, don't, if they don't advance this year, they're going to be able to tweak their team a little bit in the offseason. Like, they're not going anywhere, but they look awesome right now. And Utah, they went through that rough stretch without Gobert and Mitchell when they just fell apart. And all we heard and all I said and all ever well, the numbers say when Gobert and Mitchell are on the floor, they're plus a gazillion per 100 possessions. Just wait till those guys get back. Everything's going to be fine. And they're back. And they're 4-4 four and four in their last eight games. And it just feels eh. Just, it just, something feels 
And, and yeah, they've had a couple guys in and out of the lineup, like Bogdanovich, who's their second leading scorer, by the way, has missed the last couple of games. Mike Conley's been just kind of not even up and down, just kind of meh for the last month. He's shooting 44% or 45% on twos. Just doesn't – he's had a, a, a good last couple of games, and it just, it just isn't there. The Ingles trade, trading Joe Ingles, I know he was injured, but not getting – a rotation player in return. I mean, Nikhil Alexander-Walker played pretty well last night against the Bulls in a, in a break in case of emergency game. But I, that's just that's got to feel disappointing to to the holdover players and, and coaches to a lesser extent. Just trading a guy who was in your rotation and healthy for a guy who may not crack it at all. You're depending on Daniel House, who was out of the league, as like a, a key part of your team. And when you watch them play, some nights it looks great. Some nights it doesn't. It just... I'm beginning to worry even more than I was at the beginning of the year when I said no team in the NBA, not the Lakers, not anybody, has more pressure on them than the Utah Jazz. I was saying that in the summer. I was saying that at the beginning of the year. I'm, and so that implied a certain anxiety. I feel it even more deeply now that like I'm kind of worried, is it over for this core? Is it over? Has it run its course? Have we already reached the point where it's just like, it's just not going to happen. I, I find myself worrying about that a lot. And they've got 12, 13 games left in the regular season. And as Jeff Van Gundy likes to say, the NBA goes from good to bad to good to bad to good real fast. They're, they're a five-game winning streak and a good playoff matchup and an injury to another team in the playoffs away from being like right in the conference finals again. So who the heck knows? I just I don't like the feeling in, in Utah. And it's just every year is precious. Every opportunity is precious. And Steph's injury was a reminder of that, is a reminder of that. And let's use that as a pivot to bring in ESPN's Kendra Andrews to talk about the very interesting Golden State Warriors. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right. To talk all things Golden State Warriors, let's bring in our Warriors expert reporter, Maven, the super talented, somewhat new to ESPN, but not that new. Kendra Andrews, how are you? What an intro. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? 
I'm doing better than the Warriors' presumptive <laughs> starting lineup, which, as you pointed mm. out in your game story last night, reacting to the Celtics' blowout win in San Francisco. I almost said in Oakland, which would have probably punctured like a small dagger in your heart. Um, it, it has played exactly one possession together the entire year, and that was the jump ball Draymond intentional foul on Klay Thompson's return. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry uh, strained ligament in his foot after Marcus Smart Dove into him for a loose ball last night, drawing the ire of of Steve Kerr. Kendra, you and I have both been talking to Warriors people this morning. Uh, They just, uh, Woj just reported the timetable that there's optimism he will be ready for the start of the playoffs. What are you hearing from inside Warriors HQ? Yeah, I mean, there's optimism that he'll he'll be around for the playoffs. but, But as you said, Zach, you know, when your starting five has only played seven seconds together, uh, that that barely counts as is playing any time. There's, you know, there's a concern level. Draymond Green was saying saying on Wednesday night after that Celtics game, it feels like every time we get someone back, someone else goes down. Consistency is so important to to any team, in particular this team that is trying to integrate some younger players, some new players that haven't played together before this season. Uh, so there's there is some concern just about the timing of the season. Of course, getting stuff back by the playoffs is is huge. It's needed. If not, who knows what's going to happen for their success? But uh, not having him for the final 13 games of the season, just as you get Draymond back, it it definitely hurts uh, what they're trying to do. Here's where we are: uh, 47 and 23, third in the West. 11th in offense, third in defense. I actually think all this panic, Kendra, about how their defense fell apart without Draymond Green was like completely overblown. In two months without Draymond, they were ninth or 10th, depending on what metric you prefer, in defense. I actually think that's pretty good. Like You take the best defensive player off your team and you remain in the end of the top 10. I think that's pretty good. This is still an elite defensive team. However, Steph is now injured. You just hit on the continuity issues. They are third. Now they already trail Memphis by a game. They are at risk of losing depending on um, how the rest of the season goes. And Steph may not play in any of these games. They, they have games left against Utah uh, and uh, Memphis. And Dow- I don't think they have any against Dallas, actually. No, Dallas no more. Home, but you, they are at risk of losing the tiebreak to every one of Memphis, Utah, yeah. And Dallas. The Dallas one they've already lost based on head-to-head matchups. Utah and Memphis, because the NBA is stupid and clings to the tradition of divisions, have the division winner tiebreak over the Warriors, who have the misfortune of being in the Suns division. It's on the table that they fall to fifth. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. Yeah, and you look at the the, the makeup of their schedule, Zach, and on this upcoming road trip that they have East, you know, they have two back-to-back series, Orlando-Miami, then Washington-Memphis. Then later, after they get back, they have back-to-back Utah-Sacramento. And Clay Thompson still isn't playing in, in back-to-back series. Draymond Green is still under somewhat of a minute restriction. So if you don't have Steph out there and you don't have Clay, which presumably will happen at least three of those games, that's losing a whole lot of their offense, a lot of, of their scoring. Then, you know, Draymond, it seems to be that he, his his restriction is getting eliminated quickly, but you're still, you still have some type of restrictions there. It just, it, it feels, yeah, the standings wise, it doesn't feel great for the Warriors right now. The value of being third 
which right now would get you a first round matchup against Denver, who's forty two and twenty eight, and and we'll see where they finish up. But they're two games back in the loss column of four or five. Let's just say, for the sake of like not breaking our brains, that Denver stays in sixth. Mm-hmm. The value of being third versus fourth and fifth really sort of is in the eye of the beholder. Um, if if Denver doesn't get Murray and Porter back, and this is just who they are, I I do think. I'd rather play them, even though I'm absolutely terrified of Jokic in a seven-game series, than Dallas or Utah. Maybe, I think. But, and in addition, three gets me out of the Suns, half of the bracket, falling to four or five. I've got to play, in this scenario anyway, Utah, Dallas, and then Phoenix. I, I, I think the three seed, depending on what happens with Denver, I think that has real value and I and I, I I think the Warriors probably half of their brain doesn't really care because they're like, we're the Warriors. Like Clay and Draymond have already come out and said basically Draymond said we're winning the championship. Like he already right. said it. Um and I think there's probably some people within the Warriors who are like, huh, that path that that path from three seems better for us than the path from four or five. Do you think they care? I I, I do. I do think that there is is some care there. Um Draymond is never going to admit that, right? You know, you're not going to show, he's not going to show his cards and say, well, we really are gunning for this because we want this matchup or we feel this, or, you know, even we feel better about having home court advantage and X, Y, Z versus that. I, I don't think it's the number one thing on their brain and they're putting all of their eggs into a certain standing basket, but there, ha- there is going to be some care because as you said, they're, they're smart people and their smart players they know that some matchups are more favorable than others I was talking about this with Brian Winhurst and, and Mark Spears the other day also when it comes to just like home court advantage versus not home court advantage yes the Warriors their veteran players have ex- so much experience in the playoffs where that might not matter to them but as I said before they have a lot of players who have never played in the playoffs before and don't quite understand what the postseason beast is and so for them Jordan Poole uh, Jonathan Kaminga uh, you know Juan Chiscano Gary Payton II having home court advantage probably is important to them uh, just because they've never been in, in the postseason and they haven't had to experience what it's like to go into someone else's house and not have that advantage uh, for the first two games. And then if it goes on further, you forgot about Moses Moody, who on uh, this podcast, yes. on this podcast is forever known as Moody Moses, Ruch, I, Moses, Moody Moses, not Moody, even this, Moody. just this podcast in my head too. That's it's my initial inclination to always call him Moody Moose. And then I have to, Oh wait, that's not your actual name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Shout out Perk. That was that was an all an all timer. And no, I will never let Perk live that down. Even though nope. if you put all of us on TV long enough, we are going to have a Moody Moses moment. It's going to happen. Uh, so Kendra, for the last two months, I have been asked on podcasts, television shows, conversations. How worried are you about the Warriors as they went? I think fifteen and fifteen over a thirty game stretch without Draymond. How wor- are you worried? How worried should we be? And I just consistently said, I don't, I don't care. I'm not worried. Wake me up when Draymond is back. Right. Clay is just finding his footing after two and a half years away. And by the way, Clay's game's being nitpicked to death. Like, hey, he doesn't look like the same defensive player. He's kind of not the same force. Hey, he's only shooting X from. He's too, shooting too many long twos. He's pressing. 
for two and a half years mm-hmm. off. And it's not like two and a half years he sat on a beach. For two and a half years recovering from two of the most severe injuries a basketball player can suffer, Clay Thompson looks incredible. Mm-hmm. Ask the Bucks how Clay Thompson looks <laughs> after he put up 38 on them in a in a blowout win over Milwaukee, the only game Milwaukee has lost in like three weeks um, the other day in San Francisco. I just I'm just not worried. Now I, I'm worried I, I'm worried in the sense that any path through the West is perilous. I'm worried in the sense that Phoenix Phoenix has a little bit of a team of destiny magic dust feel to it this year. That worries me. But I just have a lot of faith in the talent of their three core players. And more than that, this is what I really want to dig into. Mm-hmm. In Draymond's absence, I think they discovered Moody and Kaminga yes. are ahead of schedule. Yes. And so when I look at their and, – and not only that, Poole towards the end of, of Draymond's absence found his footing. And if I read you the numbers with Steph and Poole on the floor and Steph and Poole and Clay Thompson – on the floor, your laptop might burst into flame <laughs> spontaneously. And so I look at this team and I'm like, okay, look, they're top eight in the playoffs. Let's go through it. Because mm-hmm. everything starts with the eight-man rotation in the playoffs. Right. Starting five is going to be Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. Looney is mm-hmm. the starting center. That's not going to change, correct? No, no. That's, that's five. Their first three locks off the bench are Poole, Otto Porter, and I think Andre Iguodala at least walks back into I'm mm-hmm. a lock to be in the rotation when I come back. You see, when is is Andre? Where is Andre Iguodala? <laughs> I, it's a it's a great question. You know, he's he's been practicing. I saw him in practice. I actually saw him in practice the other day, just bombing three pointers. I think he made like 12 consecutive threes in a row. And at this point in the season, you know, now that now that Steph's out, maybe his timeline changes. The Warriors have not put an official timeline on Andre, but now that Steph's out, maybe they kind of start saying, okay, Andre, what, like, let's, let's get it together because they, they always knew that Andre was a postseason player, right? They were He'll tell to... you, he'll, he'll tell them if they, if they, if they, th- if they reconsider that Andre will, right. make, will let it be known what he's there for. Right. He is there for the playoffs for the postseason. They were going to bubble wrap him all regular season just to make sure he was available for them in the playoffs. And I think that's what we're seeing. As I said, now that Steph Curry going to probably be out until the start of the playoffs. Does that change the fact that they might need a little bit for him from him as a floor general, just as a calming presence yet to be seen, but he's, he's a playoff player for them. But I do believe, yes, once he comes back, especially in the postseason, he will be high in their rotation. And Porter is not a sexy player. He, he regularly will go entire two week periods where he doesn't crack double digits in a game. But he's a 40% three-point shooter. He's a great rebounder. And the Warriors sneakily, after a little bit of wobbling, are now fourth in defensive rebounding, which to me was almost the number one big picture question about this team. Mm-hmm. Playing Draymond at center so much, which they were clearly lined up to do, can they hold their own on the boards? And they have. And Porter's a big reason for that. And he just understands how the Warriors play. And as as we saw toward the end of last season, and I was super bullish on the Warriors coming into this season because of what those last 25 games of last season reminded us. When you put guys who understand how Steph and Draymond play on the floor with them, it's just a really hard team to defend against. It's a really hard team to play against, and they've been awesome all season. So that's eight. We're up to eight. Mm-hmm. We haven't named 
Moody or Kaminga or mm-hmm. Gary Payton Jr. or Nemanja Bielitsa or JTA, who I love, but won't be in the playoff rotation. Mm-hmm. I'm saying this. I think one of Moody and Kaminga is the ninth guy. I would bet the coaches, because coaches are so risk averse, they're such babies, would prefer Moody because he's just sort of a more reliable, veteran, savvy player than Kaminga. Right. I am in danger of falling head over heels for Kaminga. And I think I think to make a run, the Warriors are going to need both of them to play important postseason minutes. And I think both of them are ready. And I think they'll need the other guys too. Like Bielitsa will come on when they want to stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. If they ever face Morant, I think Gary Payton Jr. is like, here you go. Have fun with that assignment. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being naive. I think both Moody and Kaminga should and will play in the playoffs. Am I naive? No, I don't think you're. I say fall, go head over heels, Zach. It's oh, it's okay. It is okay to go head over heels. Because my I, Kami- careful because my Kaminga crush is, is getting a little out of control. I, okay. Well, well, we'll make sure it's realistic, but we'll be there to catch you, you know, if you fall. But I think that's okay to, to lean into Kaminga and Moses Moody. And it's something that the team has been saying. They've said, well, first off, you're exactly right in the fact that no Draymond injury no Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody getting the opportunities that they have gotten over the past two and a half months. There is no way. That being said, they have taken those opportunities and have forced the team to publicly proclaim that they will get meaningful minutes throughout this final stretch of the season and into the postseason. Because They're in my playoff rotation. I don't care if so I got to go 10 deep. I'm putting them in. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna want to try and find time for them because first started with Moses, as you're saying, the the constant like description that I get about Moses Moody is what you say. He he's what he's 19, 20 years old, but his brain is he is the brain of a seasoned veteran. He just gets it. Everything moves a little slower for him. And he understands really where he fits into this team. Jonathan Kaminga, when he is when he gets downhill. You do not want to be in his way. He does things on this team that no one else does. Because, Zach, you think about you think about that dynastic run that the Warriors had, right? They had incredible players, right? Just incredible players. No one on any of those teams were the athlete that Jonathan Kaminga is. The Warriors have not had just a freakish athletic player like him in, in recent history. And it just brings a whole other dimension to this team. And the thing about JK that's really encouraging to this team as well is how he's been able to learn. The example that Steve Kerr has given him multiple times is there was one game a couple weeks ago. I can't remember who they were playing, but Clay Thompson hit like five threes in a row in the first quarter. He was in that clay zone. Jonathan brings the, brings the ball up and he launches a three. And that's like a big no-no, right? You give it to Clay because Jonathan missed it. You don't do that. A couple weeks later, out of the All-Star break against Portland, Jonathan had an incredible game. And I asked him post-game about not shooting threes. And he said, we have two of the best three-point shooters ever. We have seven guys who can shoot threes. I don't need to shoot threes. And Steve Kerr loved that that soundbite because it showed how Jonathan has completely understand. He, he understands now where his game fits in and how he doesn't need to shoot threes because he brings something completely different to this team that makes them so much more dynamic uh, and harder to defend. So I think your crushes are, are very You're valid. Helping. You're not helping. <laughs> I've, been, I've been hurt before. I'm, I'm still recovering from Mario Hazonia. I've, I've, been, I've been hurt too many times. But look, there's this fixation in Warriors world. And you've lived it and you've heard it 
on James Wiseman. Like we mm. gotta like I gotta scour the G League film. How's James Wiseman? What's his timetable? How many minutes is he gonna play this year? Is he gonna be in the rotation? Should he start? Forget James Wiseman. Like that to me, and I've said this since before the season started. I think James Wiseman is a next year question. You mm-hmm. can all watch James Wiseman beat the crap out of the G League Ignite on some streaming service or something tonight or tomorrow, whenever they play, and and talk about how the Warriors need his vertical athleticism. Just watch the Warriors. Jonathan Kaminga is giving them all of that right now. And to your point, I thought for the first part of the season, it, he was very clearly interested in, in scoring and taking mm-hmm. the ball to the basket. And like you said, I mean, you blink, and this dude is not at the rim. He is on top of the rim. He looks like he's going to eat the rim for a snack when he's going up to dunk on it. And 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 not only that, but but as you said, in the last month, I think he's really kind of eased into the dribble handoff, read and react, flare screen. Like it, it's not it it it's not natural maybe for him. He's still learning it, and you can tell he's not as snappy, snappy, snappy as the veterans. But who is? I mean, we're talking about genius players and Draymond Green and Andre Iguodala. But he's starting to get it, and he's starting to move the ball, and he is shooting thirty three percent on threes. I don't mind when he takes wide open threes, and defensively. I mean, I was watching them play the Lakers a few weeks ago. There was a span in which in within 45 seconds he guarded Russ, LeBron, and Anthony Davis. Last night he's guarding Tatum and Brown. He's going to make some mistakes, particularly off the ball, but he's got so many tools. Like, I just think they're going to need him. I don't know if the coaches are going to trust him because you know what's going to happen. He's going he's gonna to lose track of a shooter off the ball, and the guy's going to make a three, and the coaches are going to be like, we just can't have – I don't know. I think they're going to need him. I, I think it's going to be – it might it might come down to situational things, right? Uh, and you, you mentioned Gary Payton before. So if, if they need a scenario where they just need a lockdown defender, okay, you bring in Gary Payton. If you need someone to go just be incredibly athletic and, and just attack, 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 maybe you go to Jonathan Kaminga. But it, it it's changed from there's no way that they're going to see playoff minutes or meaningful playoff minutes to there is a strong possibility that if, if things are going well and things are going right for the Warriors in the postseason, yeah, we're probably going to see see him and Moses Moody. I agree with you. James Wiseman is is not going to be a factor in the playoffs this this season. I, I've been told that he's probably won't because the thing that Jonathan and Moses have done is earn the trust of Steve Kerr and the coaching staff. James Wiseman, and it's no fault of his own, just hasn't had the opportunity to do so because he hasn't played in a year. So it's really hard to believe that after not playing for a year in the most important time of the season, they're going to hand the reins over to James Wiseman. I Next season, completely different story. But the thing that Steve Kerr keeps talking about is he needs reps. He needs reps. He needs a summer league. Zach, he has not played in a summer league. He has not participated really in a training camp. Uh, so there are a lot of other steps that James needs to take before getting a greater opportunity. But Jonathan and Moses have both proven themselves over the past two and a half months to at least when the coaching staff is in their coaches meetings talking about strategy, their names will be brought up as as serious options. And you know who else is pretty good? Come on, Looney. Like, mm. I, I called Otto Porter not a sexy player. Kevon Looney is, like, the least he's, sexy player. He's, yes, Can't he's jump. less sexy. Doesn't sh- he shot a few jump shots this year. He looks okay on him. Doesn't really do much. But but he moves the ball. He rebounds. He's in the right place defensively. And if you watch their game against Jokic the other day, 
he stonewalled Jokic about as well as you yeah. can in the post and, and reminded everyone, even if it's 16, 18 minutes a game, he understands how the Warriors play. And whether it's Jokic, Ayton, Gobert, whatever, they're going to need him. And that just doesn't leave minutes for Wiseman. Back to Kaminga, by the way, a hypothetical I've gotten, I don't know, 40 times this season. And, and the tone of it has changed from October till now is, boy, can you imagine if the Warriors had Franz Wagner instead of Jonathan <laughs> Kaminga? Because Wagner is clearly entered the league as way more NBA ready than Kaminga and and would have fit the Warriors pass and cut and read and react style. I'm already over it. Like, but I'm all, I'm all, I would probably rather have Kaminga right now if I were the Warriors. I'm just, that's how excited I am. And I love Franz Wagner. He's a no-brainer first team all rookie. If I'm the Warriors, I might lose sleep over Wiseman instead of LaMelo Ball. I ain't losing any sleep over Kaminga and Franz Wagner. Right. Well, you look at you look at kind of what the Warriors like their master plan of is with these young guys of Kaminga and Moody. You can throw James in there, throw Jordan Poole in there as like eventually there's going to be this this passing of the torch, right? Kind of all of the San Antonio Spurs, which obviously took its own path, but you know that's the plan. And and when you look at the collection of players that they have and and the different kinds of players that they have in, in Jordan and Kaminga and Moses and James, I'll get I'll add in that. It's a very complete core group kind of waiting in the wings. And and Jonathan has the extreme potential to be that that leader in that group. And I always think back, Zach, to to leading up to the draft and then it immediately on draft night after the Warriors selected Kaminga. And it was he's so underdeveloped. He's gonna be such a project. It's gonna be, you know, two years at least until he's really able to 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 offer anything to this team and here we are you know in in march and we're talking about how he has a serious chance of cracking the playoff rotation i mean the way that he's developed and learned so quickly is is so astounding and it's it's such a stark contrast to how the warriors initially were developing james wiseman how much they learned what they with the mistakes that they made last season and how they pivoted to now set these rookies up is it's it's pretty impressive how how they've brought him along so quickly. You know what you know what your entire statement just made me think mm. is I don't think I'm ready. I don't think you're ready. I don't think God is ready. <laughs> I don't think the world is ready for the level of bravado and arrogance that is going to come from Joe Lacob if the Warriors win the championship and Jonathan Kaminga and Moses Moody play a role in it. Because if you thought if you thought light years ahead was bad, if they right, actually right pull now. this off, <laughs> if they pull this off where they have the present and the future, which he has boasted about, we want to be the Spurs. That's exactly what we want to do. To hell with all of you who say we're wasting Steph Curry's prime. Blah, blah, right. blah. I want Kaminga. I love that Franz Wagner. If they actually do it, I, I mean, this is a guy who said we're light years ahead of everyone, slept with the Larry O'Brien trophy and made I, – I don't even know what could happen. It's all on the – I don't – like, does he stand on top of the Golden Gate Bridge? And I, I don't even know what happens. <laughs> Standing on top – and, you know, it's – it's it would be it would be quite it would be quite the sight it would be quite the sight and it's it it is extremely impressive when you think of of how they've been able to mold this and and make it a, a now what? thing 
it, it ain't impressive. It ain't impressive yet because if you lose everything, things turn fat. As Jeff Van Gundy says, the NBA goes from good to bad to good to bad real fast. You lose in the first round of Utah, all of a sudden you're not light years ahead of anybody anymore. Let's talk about the actual team. Forget I got to get all the Joe Lake up imagery out of my head. Um, <laughs> you get to sit with Jordan, that all weekend now. <laughs> Jordan Poole has become one of the most interesting players in the league to me. Um, he's just a good offensive player. He plays with a rhythm that is hard for players to guard. And one of the things I like about him and Kaminga and to a lesser extent Wiggins is that as beautiful as the Warriors system is, right? All the screens, all the cuts, all that stuff, pinning in for Steph, all the artistry of it. I think to win, to win it all, they need a bunch of guys who can break out of that system and just hit you in the face with some power and some speed and some straight line oomph. And Poole has that kind of gear in him. And so, I don't, I mean, talking about closing lineups is sometimes sort of a red herring. Like, teams change their closing lineups all the time. Mm-hmm. Is the Warriors' best lineup when, when the chips are down? Steph, Poole, Clay, Wiggins, and Draymond? Or is the Wiggins part the question mark there? Like, are we going to see that kind of three-guard alignment even – even with Draymond at center, are we going to see that a lot, a little? What's the three-guard temperature take yeah. right now? I mean, I think the three-guard is definitely something that the team is is liking. It's been a sm- smaller sample size. You know, they just started going to going to it these past, these past several games. But it's something that they really like because the way that the, the, the phrase that they've been using, it's a pick-your-poison kind of scenario because each of, obviously, Steph – knockdown shooter clay thompson knockdown shooter jordan can also be a knockdown shooter he has that quickness though that you're talking about and then you know steph obviously has an incredible ability to finish at the rim clay thompson has the other nuances of his offense it it makes a real conundrum for other defenses because you have that age-old question or proposition right there's X amount of seconds left in the game. It's a tie game. Who do you want to give the ball to? And when you have all three of those guys, well, you probably feel good about giving them to everyone. And then it presents the, the opposing team. Okay, well, are we going to double Steph and Curry? Because usually that's what you're going to think of doing. You're going to throw a crazy defensive scheme at him. But the same can be said for Clay Thompson, but you don't want to leave Steph open. But if you do both of those guys, then you leave Jordan Poole open. And these past several games, he's proven to have just ice cold water in his veins. And you have Draymond playing the the floor general in all of that. You're not gonna add, you're not gonna necessarily say, "Hey, Steph, you set it all up," or "Jordan, you set it all up." Draymond can set it all up from from wherever he's standing. Andrew Wiggins is probably the question in that they haven't played that lineup because, as we said, there hasn't been a time where Steph, Andrew, Clay, Jordan, and Draymond have all been healthy and available to play in a late game scenario or play it all together. Uh, so I think there are a def- couple different ways that they could go with that that final spot in the in the closing five. But as as we go into playoffs, it's something that that we're going to see. You know, Steve Kerr said something interesting the other day. He said something that sets this team apart from past championship teams the Warriors had. You knew every time opposing teams knew every time what their starting lineup was going to be and probably what their closing lineup is going to be. But because of the personnel they have on this team, depending on the matchup, they have the ability to throw different lineups out there all of the time. It's something that they're going to lean on. But that three guard guard lineup is is something that they have been liking. 
uh, especially in late game scenarios. It's sort of irresistible to to liken Pool to Tyler Hero. Like Pool is the Western Conference Tyler Hero, third year player who's kind of been boom and bust, a little unpredictable, but young guy whose rise has sort of reinvigorated an old head contender in their conference. And look, the Warriors with Steph and Poole on the floor are plus 16 per 100 possessions. With Steph, Poole, and Clay on the floor, in 129 minutes, they're plus 96. That's just bonkers. And yeah. going back to last year, Steph, Poole, and Draymond – they were absolutely dominant with those three guys on the floor. And I think Poole's combination of being able to exist outside of the Warriors offense, but also he's kind of become a mini Steph Curry where he, in the way he moves around the floor and cuts and, and reads mm-hmm. their split actions. To have two guys or even three guys like Clay, three perimeter guys who could all play that style, it's just really hard to keep track of where the hell everyone is, especially when you have Draymond and a passer of Draymond's caliber mm-hmm. kind of directing traffic. I think it's a look... That, that we're going to see. We saw last night against Boston. The downside of that is when you have those three guards on the floor, one of them was guarding Tatum or Brown, and that's and that's a mismatch. But then you look at the West and you're like, yeah, we got we have Luca. We got to deal with Luca, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Chris Paul and Devin Booker, John Morant, Dylan Brooks. There are not there. There's no team in the West that looks like Boston with these two giant wings. Yeah. No team that I'm super worried about. Like, oh, Aaron Gordon's gonna post me up. Like, I don't really care about that. Yeah. Um, there's no <laughs> team with these two giant wings that worries me. And it makes me think if I even if I have those three, if I have some combination of Draymond, Wiggins, and Iguodala on the floor, two of those guys, maybe I can reorient the matchup so that I'm not worried about the Lucas and the Bookers just bullying are small mm-hmm. guys like Tatum and Brown did a, a little bit last night. And and again, that's none of those guys are plus shooters. I mean, Wiggins is an okay shooter now. Draymond is, is a non-shooter. Andre's up and down. But that's the luxury of Steph and Clay. You have the two greatest shooters of all time. It gives you all sorts of flexibility with, with who you can play with them. And this is like the Warriors are really interesting, not only because they're the Warriors, but because they have all these interesting, like how many guys are they going to play in the playoffs? What's their closing lineups? I think it's all on the table. I think all these lineups mm-hmm. are pretty good. I think it's all on the table and I it's it's you know kind of going back to where we started this conversation the Warriors have had to play so many different they they've had to play so many different combinations because they haven't been able to to keep their health and and so it's given them opportunities to try out new things and experiment with different combinations that have found a lot of success um so it's it's you know and even with Clay and Steph you know yeah so, some size like with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown was definitely an issue. But when you think about it, those two, Steph and Clay, are very good defensive guards. They're really good defensive players as well. So if this, the mismatch isn't too great, they should also be able to hold their own um, on, on the defensive end and hopefully you know, be able to contribute there too. Provided Steph is healthy in time for the playoffs, and there seems to be a lot of optimism about that, where they're all going to be monitoring the first few days of healing Mm-hmm. here uh, for Steph's foot. I've thought all year, I mean, it's not a controversial opinion, that Golden State and Phoenix are the two best teams in the West. I don't really care what the records are. Um, I, 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 they're a tick above everybody else. That includes Memphis for me. Um, and I, I just would, I think that matchup is a really good matchup potentially between Phoenix and the Warriors. I don't think either team has a lot of fear of the other team. I think both are pretty confident. And, and so I remain... 
I remain unworried about Golden State if healthy. I guess I should be worried about all of these different issues and different timetables, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just not. But I am more interested in them as a result of their health issues than I was uh, two months ago. And I do think that's both a blessing and a curse for the coaches. Like I, the coaches like certainty, players like mm-hmm. certainty. They like to know this is the eight man rotation. I'm the ninth man. Sometimes I, I think they've got a lot of it, it, a lot of stuff to juggle. That's probably good for navigating the playoffs. You tend to need everybody. Some guys you need for one series, not the other. Look at Bobby Portis last year for the Bucks. But I, I, I do think this is sort of new territory for Steve Kerr. It, it is. He's never had to continuously switch so many things, right? Because in the past, it's okay, one player gets injured and you kind of overcome that or you figure out how to manage without that person. But then that person comes back in your hole again. He's had to do it. Three now, three consecutive times where, okay, you figure out how to survive. I mean, Clay Thompson was different because you had such a long period of time and they really struggled for, for you know, most of, if not all the time that he was out. But, you know, that's one thing. Okay, you get Clay back. As soon as Clay goes, Draymond Green, or Clay comes back, Draymond Green goes out and, and you struggle for a bit. But then they finally kind of figured out how to get their bearings without Draymond. Now, once again, his stuff weaves, and now you have to figure out how to, you know, make it without stuff. So it's it's while he's also trying to develop young players, which he's never had to do before. So this is very uncharted territory for Steve Kerr, and I'm interested to see, as I said, you know, they figured out in the start of the season how to survive without Klay Thompson. Then they figured out just a couple of weeks ago, for the most part, how to survive without Draymond Green. Can they do that with Steph to close out the last, you know, how many, like two and a half, three weeks of the season. Clearly Steph is a different player than those guys. Um, it's so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. And then how quickly can you pivot and make it all work together in the playoffs? Because you haven't, you haven't had a, a, your full health, healthy lineup uh, all year long. It's, it's definitely going to challenge Steve's coaching and his, his management, which has been a point of criticism for him from, from, watchers and, and fans and stuff. I'm interested to, I think that, you know, for he's done a good, decent job, you know, and players have figured it out, but it's, it, this is a whole new, a whole new world for this team. So I'm interested to see what happens. Kendra Andrews, welcome to ESPN. You do an awesome job covering the Warriors. Um, it, it's not an easy beat by any means. You got a lot, a lot of material, a lot of personalities, but thank you for making a little time for the low post podcast. And I hope to see you down the road. Absolutely. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. 
And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. All right, let's welcome in one of my favorite guests, one of the very best people talking about basketball on television or in any medium, a guy I learn from every time I watch the Milwaukee Bucks and also laugh with every time I watch the Milwaukee Bucks, a rare combination, the one and only Marcus Johnson. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. Uh, I'm good. Glad to be here. Today. Yeah, you Glad know, to be here. I, I drag you on here and make you talk about the Bucks. It is what it is. Um, the Bucks have won eight out of nine, defending champs, obviously. Brooke Lopez has played two games after missing almost the entire season to this point. The one loss was a troubling blowout at the hands of the Golden State Warriors. So, you know, it feels like the Bucks have kind of been under the radar, a little underwhelming, and yet here they are, second in the East, two games behind the Heat, plus a lot per 100 possessions, third in offense, 14th in defense, eight and one in their last nine. Is this the surge we've all been waiting for? Do they have another gear in the playoffs? Is this season a disappointment so far? Where are we? Well, let me tell you where we are. So starting on February 28th, all the way through March, there was this 15 game stretch started with Charlotte um you were talking about miami and phoenix and chicago atlanta uh, you throw throwing an okc but then the west coast trip golden state and utah and sacramento at home that just beat chicago it winds up with what i think boston and, and philly so going into it 15 games the way the bucks were playing zach right before the all-star break right after a couple of tough losses to brooklyn and philadelphia where they kind of shot themselves in the foot, turnovers, missed free throws, poor decisions, breakdowns defensively. I was concerned. I was really, really Interesting. concerned about, Interesting. about this stretch. And and But I thought also that it was a, a, a bit of, 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 you know, really good schedule make, scheduling for this team. The schedule maker did this team a favor because this was going to show if they had that championship medal, whatever the hell that is, that championship medal or not. And I was concerned. So, it, and I hate to admit this now, but I was sitting at home thinking, like, well, this team limps out of this 15 game stretch, four and 11, three and 12, you know, heaven forbid something to work. You know, I was concerned. Uh, and I thought eight and seven in these, in these 15 games, I like, that was my baseline. I'm happy with eight and seven. Anything above that, I'm ecstatic about. But if we come out of this with a winning record, eight and seven, I'm good. Where are we now? We're eight and one. We got those eight victories, like boom, just like that. And I know you talk about the, the Golden State debacle, but you know, the Warriors, that was payback mode. We blew them out here, you know, a few months ago or whatever. And so they were looking to to return the favor. We, you know, we didn't we didn't play well, didn't, didn't come out with the same kind of energy that we that we've been showing uh in our games against Miami and Chicago and Phoenix and those teams. So yeah, that that was an, an outlier in my mind, an anomaly more than anything else. But this team is hit its stride right now. And and so that concern has been uh, banished, vanquished, whatever the word I'm looking for is, starts with a V, it's no longer there. And so I believe that what this team is showing now is that they are gearing up for a defense of their crown. And 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 you talk to the players. I mean, you know, the, the, the saying around Milwaukee is it's go time. 
you know, Coach Bud, you hear him say, it's time to go. You know, you're the coaches. It's time to go. We, you know, we've been, you know, it's, we've been messing around here for, and we always said during the course of the year, based on everything that happened, the, 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 the finals going into July, uh, Chris and Drew hopping on a plane, you know, two days after the victory parade going over to Tokyo, uh, that, that if this team needs to just stay above water, kind of just stay there in, in the middle of the pack in terms of playoff contention, and then once March kind of rolls around, kind of, kind of, kind of amp it up for the playoffs. And that's, and this is exactly how it's played out right now. So my concern has been alleviated. It's no more concern. And uh, now it's all about just kind of staying healthy. So the Nets were my summertime preseason pre-vaccination mandate debacle pick to win the title. As soon as the Nets situation went haywire, AKA the Kyrie situation went haywire, I said many times the Bucks are the safest pick on the board. The Bucks are now my pick to win the championship. And as the season went on, I, I I tried not to be concerned for all the reasons you just said. But two things started to concern me, and they're connected. And I want to hear what you think about them now that Brooke Lopez is back, now that this team is, as you said, it's it's a go time. I it's not that I think Brooke Lopez is like a world beater on defense, but I felt that without him, they kind of lost a little bit of their bedrock defensive identity. And you could see them, okay, tonight we're going to try to hedge hard with Bobby Portis, and we're going to start switching more. And some nights it would work, and sometimes it would leak oil, and they'd make mistakes on switches. Mistakes that are just like not characteristic of a group of veterans that has accomplished this much. And then my second kind of related concern was they never found the P.J. Tucker piece to round out the Giannis at center lineups. So the Giannis at center lineups are now just four guards and Giannis. They're a little bit smaller. Not only that, when Giannis is out of the game, they don't really have a backup power forward for Giannis. So it's four guards and one of the big men. So they were both a little smaller than they had been. And without with a defensive identity that in some ways it looks the same, right? They're like an elite defensive rebounding team. They don't foul. They give up lots of threes and no shots at the rim. Statistically, it looks the same, but on the court, it didn't quite look the same, and they're like 13th or 14th in defense and trending the wrong way. Some of that is just bad luck, but what what is your read on those two kind of connected issues right now going forward? Well, they're valid, but now Brooke is back, and uh, speaking with uh, our, our team performance specialist, Dr. Troy Flanagan, the other day, uh, he's very confident that he's back for good, that, that, that the technology I was sharing with Dr. Flanagan uh, when I played and hurt my neck when I was a clipper and ran into Benoit Benjamin's stomach that pretty much ended my career, um, they wanted to take a plug of bone out of my hip and fuse it into the C3, C4 vertebrae. He looked at me like, oh, my, he's from Australia. My Marcus, Marcus, we don't do that anymore. And that, you know, what they do, we, you know, they, they go in and they just shave the disc down a bit. We strengthen the muscles around the area. And then he's, you know, I won't say he's good as new, but, but anyway, so they're feeling really good about Brooke being able to sustain his, his, his good health and his recovery and all those good things from the from the back surgery that he had. The other point, Brooke against Rudy Gobert hit the ground running. I was shocked. I was, I mean, in a pleasant, pleasantly surprised kind of a way. And we did this in our in our pregame last night. His first three or four defensive possessions were just, you know, classic Brooke. Yep. 
I mean, he's he's a pick and roll. He's 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 getting vertical and making Conley throw a pass a little higher than he wanted to, and Gobert couldn't handle it. He's he's stopping the the, the penetration by Conley. You know, swiveling his hips, getting back, contesting Gobert at the rim. At uh, one play, he 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 pressed up on Gobert uh, in the center of the court near the top of the key. Gobert turns his back to Brooke, but also turns his back to Drew Holiday, who picks his pocket clean. He's doing the little things out there that you're talking about. The Brooke is the anchor of this defense. Brooks rim protection is is the best in the league, in my opinion, bar none. And that's without blocking shots. That's just position. And knowing he plays that drop defense, I won't say he plays it the best in the league, but he plays it exactly how Coach Bud wants it played. Keep the ball in front of you. Have vision of your man. Don't get beat back door for lobs. I mean, Capella, some of these lob specialists have been killing us because Bobby doesn't do it well. Giannis doesn't do it well. Brooke does it exactly how Coach Bud wants it. So that's a big issue. Your next point, P.J. Tucker. If I told you that P.J. Tucker in clutch minutes in the playoffs last year ranked fifth or sixth on our team, it sounds crazy, but he did. Pat Connaughton played more clutch playoff minutes than P.J. Tucker did last season. And that's not the – you know, P.J. Tucker has shown this year that it's a big loss. It's a huge loss. The way he shot the basketball, all those intangibles he, he brings to the, to the court – but I really believe that 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 we are finding that identity, that closer identity right now. We are starting to find it. So so now it's kind of a sometimes it's a Wes Matthews and Javon Carter has been a really key addition to this team because we know what he does, the pit bull defense, the picking up 94 feet and all that. He's knocking down threes. And not only that, against Utah, caught a pass in the corner from Giannis, bail out pass, Giannis kicked it to him, and it looked like Javon might double clutch a three-pointer just to, to beat the shot clock. Presence of mind, calm, cool, collected, hit Drew Holiday, Drew fadeaway jumper on the baseline. Devon Carter's been huge. So our closing lineups have been a little different right now. And once we get Pat Connaughton back, that's going to add to that mix. So Coach Bud is in the process now of trying to figure out, you know, who we're going to go to to close those lineups, uh, to close those games, those lineups to close games uh, that, that P.J. was doing last year. But again, that stat just jumped out to me when I saw it today that P.J. Tucker, 22 minutes of clutch playoff time last year, Pat Connaughton, 23 minutes of clutch playoff time. So even though you need him, I think we'll be able. Now, now it hurts us. DeAndre Bembry, he goes down with, with the knee situation on, his, on, on the closeout. And uh, he and, 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 and Carter together, they gave us something similar to what P.J. was, that, that, that toughness, that defensive mindset, that take-no-prisoners kind of attitude. So that, you know, and you're never going to say missing DeAndre Bembry is going to be the game changer, but it does hurt the dynamics of where we were headed uh, just a bit. But I think we've got enough uh, for Coach Bud to kind of pick and choose from to make up for the absence of P.J. Tucker. So I feel good about it. It's not just Tucker, uh, but the, the, way, the way you just put it, I thought was good enough to pick and choose from because they traded Dante DiVincenzo, who had been struggling this season coming off ankle injury for Serge Ibaka. And you rarely see teams trade in 2022 wing for big. And that was clearly a, uh-oh, we are not 100%. You can't be 100% certain anyone coming from a back injury is going to really be back back. So let's get someone in just in case. I, I didn't love that trade because I kept hearing how optimistic they were about Brooke Lopez. And I just I don't like trading wing for big when we're going to play a lot of minutes as the Bucks with Mil with Giannis at center. I need all the wings I can get. Then Connaughton goes down and Bembry goes down. I'm like, oh man, they're running out of things. But but like you said, Javon Carter, 
I get I get the heebie-jeebies just watching him guard people. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like I'm just like, man, this is tiring for me to, to watching this guy bring up the court. He plays bigger than he is. Wes Matthews plays a little bigger than he is. Even Pat Connaughton, because of his leaping ability, plays kind of like he's a good rebounder. He made shots last year. George Hill's back. The defensive metrics for George Hill are like off the charts. I Drew Holiday plays bigger than he is a, as a guard. I, I think they've got – enough I, I wish they had one other kind of tweener forward kind of guy they don't have that I, I think that's fine and, and Brooke to your point I thought Brooke looked really good all things he airballed his first three and it was like oh boy and then he just kept on taking them and they looked pretty good <laughs> yeah and I, and I love that point uh you know, he kept taking them and and but with Brooke and 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 you know this you've been around the game a long time and it's even more so than the on court tangible stuff that he's doing the drop defense and the rim challenges and all that it's just his presence in terms of his personality who he is how he fits in with these guys and this is just me this is just my observation i thought boogie cousins had played well enough offensively his offensive metrics were really really positive his on court stuff you know what he was doing when he was on the floor uh, defensively, he was a liability. He had his issues, his vertical movement and all that, and lateral quickness and all that, just not what it used to be. But uh, the surge move, I like that. And surge, you know, it's funny. The day that <laughs> the day that surge had his best game, uh, Boogie had 31. So I'm like, you know, I saw first I saw Boogie had the 31. So I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I mean, that's not looking real good right now. But then Serge came out and had like a 15 point game, shot the ball, knocked down some three pointers and all that. And so I was cool. That that kind of allayed some of my concerns. But I think the Serge Serge Ibaka move will pay off for us. He's still, you know, as long as he can keep defenses honest with that little 10 foot. He's looked pretty. He's looked pretty good. He looks good. He looks good. And and and, and to your point. With Dante, we just had so many wins. I mean, Jordan Warren was in the mix for a while, right. and, uh, and he's played a lot of clutch minutes this season. And he always be kind of, you know, in and out, up and down, and in and out of Bugs uh, Bud's doghouse, depending on his defense. But between Matthews and Connaughton, uh, 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 Javon Carter, when he's in there with Brooke Holiday, uh, with, uh, with uh, Drew Holiday, uh, Drew kind of plays kind of a, sometimes a three spot. You know, there's there's some stuff to play with. There's some stuff to play with. Um. Here, here, and and you know, a lot has been made of. I, I even just started talking about how Milwaukee's defense had some uncharacteristic to me lapses, and they've they're I think they're 18th in defense since either February one or January one. I can't mid January, I think. And then you look at the numbers. It's like, well, opponents are shooting the hell out of it on open threes or on threes in general. Some of that is bad luck. Milwaukee is Milwaukee gears its defense around. We're gonna give a lot of threes up above the break to your so-so shooters, and if they make them, we're gonna be in trouble. And so I think they've gotten a little bit unlucky. And then, so you mentioned a stat, the PJ Tucker stat, that sort of made you feel relief. I'm gonna give you two stats that I look at and say, okay, I think the Bucks are fine. You ready? Okay. No, number one, Giannis, seventy-two percent at the line, and like seventy-six percent or something. <laughs> In the last couple months. Now, we've seen in the playoffs, his playoff free throw percentage dips from his regular season free throw percentage year to year more than you would expect. I don't know if that's fatigue or nerves, but if you can overcome that in game six of the finals and shoot whatever the hell he shot, like 17 of 19, and you're shooting 72, 73, 74%, like if he's actually a 72 or 73% free throw shooter, I just there's just not a lot you can do anymore. He, like he's gonna get thirty every game 
And the only question becomes, is he going to get 40? And how many open threes are they going to get? Because if he's if he's that good of a free throw shooter and that's a weapon that you don't have against him anymore, I just don't really know what you're supposed to do. Like the wall, the wall doesn't work. Like the, he's punched a lot of holes in the wall at this point. Like the wall doesn't work that well. He gets where he wants to go. Well, uh, so a couple of things to that point. So Josh Oppenheimer, and Josh is the assistant coach that replaced Ben Sullivan as Giannis's personal shooting coach. Josh was there. Funny story about Josh. Josh grew up in Los Angeles, and he was one of those little gym rats at the wooden at the uh, at the men's gym when I was at UCLA early in my NBA career. And, and Josh has these really distinct eyes. They're like hazel or green or whatever they are. And so Josh came up to me the first day I got to Milwaukee uh, seven years ago. It's like Marcus, do you remember me, ball head? But and I looked at him. I was like, Josh. He was like, yeah, gee. I was like, that like the eyes, but I'll never forget those eyes. But Josh has done a tremendous job with Giannis. First thing he did was cut down the routine free throw wise. So no longer the 12 second count, you know, so, the, you know, we're, we're doing it six to eight seconds, you know, probably eight seconds might be the max amount of time that he's taken nowadays to shoot the free throws. So that takes a, a big part of what the crowd the, on the road and all that, the counting and all that stuff. That takes that away, but it also, I think, gives him a better rhythm, shooting free throws. And, we, and we've seen, I think he was 12 for 16 uh, last night or something close to it's, that. It's to it the right. point where the good, it's 12 for 16, and it's to the point where it's a box 16. score number like that doesn't register with me anymore. Like a year ago, oh, 12 for 16, that's right. pretty okay, yeah, yeah, honest. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think he had he had one game, he was almost, almost perfect from the free throw line uh, for the game and shot over 15 to 16 free throws, something crazy. So he, he's doing more and more. Now, he's still Giannis. He'll still lapse back into situations where he'll go short and, you know, kind of shoot straight legged and not get his knees bent and all that. But so that's that's number one. So And you talk about that wall and all that. But his mid range shooting. I was looking at uh, my boy Ben Falk. I love Ben Falk cleaning, cleaning the glass. love his sight. But Giannis's accuracy from the long mid ranges is 43 percent. All mid range shots. He's shooting 40 percent on his mid range shots. That's a career high for him. And, and so what that does now is give gives him another weapon which with with which to operate from in the half court offense that he has never had a high degree of uh not a high comfort level with and so he's a lot more comfortable now man and i mean i i've seen him watching him in practice watching him just 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 kind of work on his own he is really getting that level of confidence on his mid-range jumpers his threes 31 percent you know he's some timing with that obviously but that mid-range, that long mid-range jump shot, that, that 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 elbow jumper, that left baseline, middle's clog, fade away, he's got some weapons now that he didn't have before that makes him so much less predictable and, and as a result, a lot tougher to guard. He's made a couple of like leaners, floaters, hooks, and just in the last two or three weeks where I've been like, that didn't... Like he he goes through this phase where some of his moves look awkward at first, and then he refines and refines. Like that just looks straight up smooth. And he's also he just gets better as a passer every season, making reads earlier, throwing the ball more accurately. So I think he's just getting better and better. And the free throw stat epitomizes that to me because if I'm an opposing coach and I I can't foul him and feel at least okay about fouling him, I'm losing some sleep. The other stat is this: you ready for stat number two? Okay, let's a it. lot of a lot of Bucks fans, when they sense criticism or doubt of their team, will point to, well, look at our numbers with the big three on the floor. We're plus 10 per 100 possessions or whatever. Like, I, that's cool. I expect you to be plus 10, plus 11 with those three guys, Giannis Middleton and Holiday, on the floor. Here's the one that's more encouraging to me. 
When Giannis is off the floor, when Giannis is resting, and Drew and Chris are on the floor, plus 8.5 per 100 possessions. And that's the biggest change. It's the simplest, dumbest, biggest change from the regular season to the playoffs. You can just play your best guys more minutes. You don't have to play any minutes with only one of those three on the floor. If you want, when the chips are really down and Bud won't do it until it's it's really, really go time. He's not going to do it in game one of the first round. He's not going to do it up 2-0. He's not going to do everything like that the analytics say optimally you should do. When it's go time, he can keep two of the three on the floor all the time. And they're just really, really hard to beat when they have just two of those three guys. Yeah, to your point, when we beat Utah the other night, I believe Drew got it going late in the third, played the whole fourth, but a lot of that was without Giannis and Chris for the first part of that those final 14 minutes that he played. And that's the difference. And and, and Drew was Drew last, you know, last year until the playoffs. And uh, you know, but Chris and Drew against Atlanta, the games without Giannis, once he got the hyperextended knee, they showed kind of what they were made of. So I've never been overly concerned. And then that stat you pointed out, which I was aware of that plus 8.5 uh, without Giannis on the floor. That, that, that's huge for this team because Giannis, you know, he's going to get in situations where he's got some foul trouble. Can you hold a fort at least? The Bucks have shown that they are, 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 are able to do more than just hold a fort, but actually win basketball games. So, uh, but Drew Holiday, I, I'm not, I don't know if you're going to talk about him or not. His play this year, Zach, has just been, I mean, it's on a whole nother level since the All-Star break in particular but all season long pretty much, but the way he's knocking down, the way he's taking over games right now, I mean, he just takes at both ends. We always knew about, knew about his defense, but offensively getting to the spots to step back threes, to hit a, hit a behind the, the backboard kind of out of bounds. Crazy shot. I couldn't believe that shot. It was like, that's a horse you know, shot. Lefty floater at the, he went, he went right, took off and I'm thinking he's going to shoot a little push shot, right? He, Puts it in that left hand, like from about 14 over Gobert with the left hand, you know, just as Mark Jones like to say, in the air so long, it should have had a movie on it. I mean, those kinds of shots that that, that he's shooting right now that are going down for him. So, no, I mean, and, and that's the thing. And, and we talked about this, Zora Stevenson, um, who's doing the play-by-play for Lisa Byington, who's doing college basketball. But we, we, we talked about it's not so much even milk in the hot hand, not whoever's hot. It's just like these guys know that, each one of them is capable of taking over, so everybody gets a turn. And, and and so we know Giannis's turn is usually the third quarter, second half of the third. You know, he's he's going to take off and do and dominate and attack the rim and put stress on the defense. And, you know, Chris, last night was the beginning of the game against uh, against uh, the Kings. Uh, um, um, uh, Drew took over in the fourth quarter against against the Jazz. I mean, so that's the beauty of these big three is that, that they don't get in each other's way. And when you got a big three like that, to not get in each other's way is a big deal. And to complement each other the way they do in terms of their style of play uh, is it, really a thing for me as, as, a, as a basketball guy. Just, just a, a beautiful thing to watch. The Bucks gave up a lot for Drew Holiday. And credit John Horst and the rest of that front office. They anticipated what a great fit he would be, and they were right. The way I put it is he just fills every gap Whatever the gap is, he fills it. So Chris Middleton's cooking. I can be off to the side. And and if the ball swings to me with six on the shot clock, 
I'll just like bully my, he's such a bully. I'll bully my way in against this little guard who can't guard me. Spin, layup. Chris Chris is on the bench. Like I'll run some pick and roll with Giannis. He and Chris are developing a little two-man game of their own, which is really effective. I like when the Bucks do that. And I'll just guard everybody. Like that, that deal was such a home run even before. It, obviously, they won the championship. It's a home run, but he's been sensational. Let me ask you this before we let you go. So all this talk about the Bucks, how awesome the Bucks are. The Bucks have been my pick, you know, blah, blah. The East is pretty damn good. So Miami's number one. The Bucks sort of vanquished the Miami Demon last year in the playoffs, but the Heat are not scared of the Bucks. The Heat are not scared of everybody. Philly just remade their whole team. They got those two super duper stars, including a guy in Embiid who, you know, it Lopez is the only guy size wise that the Bucks have that stands any kind of chance if he has a chance. Boston is for real. And down down at eighth, potential first round opponent is Kevin Durant, maybe Kyrie Irving, maybe Ben Simmons. And obviously, P.J. Tucker was on the team last year to guard Kevin Durant. And you could say, well, look, I mean, Kevin Durant went bananas in that series. Did P.J. Tucker really matter? But they didn't have to, like, double and triple Kevin Durant. So I think he mattered a little bit. Which of those teams, if any, do you find yourself not necessarily worried about, but thinking about the matchup the most? Like, when you're just sitting around thinking basketball, like, oh, that matchup, how would I guard that guy? How are they going to guard us? Which one of those is most interesting to you? Well, I mean... And it's interesting the way it stands now. We, we you know we'll maybe get a chance to exercise the Raptor demon from from a couple of years ago, which would be be good for these guys because uh, it still sits sits you know in a bad spot with them. I was talking to Chris Middleton just the other day about that. It's got to be to me. I think Brooklyn. You know, I mean, just I have so much respect for KD and his ability to um, take over. I mean, the shot that he hit against Dallas. I think it was yesterday, yesterday. whenever it was in where he knocks down the three to win it. But this shot going left, I mean, they were trying to double him, bring another defender. He gets to his spot, elevates, you know, nothing but it's, five. It's crazy, right? His solution to being double teamed on the perimeter is, I'm seven it's feet early. tall. I'm just going to jump. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to jump and shoot. I'm shoot it before it get, I'll shoot it before it gets yeah. here. You know, and that could be 20 feet. That could be 28 feet. It doesn't matter. He's getting it up before you get there, and he's so locked in on that rim. Uh, Kyrie, 60 points, driving the ball like crazy to the basket. He concerns me in terms of presenting that, you know, as much as I love Drew's defense, guys like Kyrie are guys that can, that can nullify some of that great defense that Drew could put in because he's got that escapability. Plus Drew can only guard one guy. He can only, there's only one Drew. He can't guard KD and Kyrie. Right. Well, but 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 Kyrie's capability with his handle, his handle is just so tight that that it's just hard to you know the, the, he he plays though he, he gives you just a hard thirty five to forty minutes in a playoff series just trying to stay with them and negotiate screens and keep keep in front of you. Um, so so it would probably be Brooklyn, but you mentioned Boston. Boston right now haven't watched them a lot since they've turned things around, but you keep reading about them, you keep seeing what they're doing as a team. And you're seeing the results of what they're doing as a team, and um, they're an, you know they're they're an interesting team. Tatum and, and and Brown and Smart and that crew and and, and Horford the, the element he gives them. But I I'd, I'd have to still say that that anytime and and with Brooklyn, I think you know they've been reading all the stuff. They they know that the, you know the, the, all this stuff about KD and if he had a shoe size, uh, you know half a shoe size <laughs> smaller, all that. But but remember he played dang near the whole game. 
last three or four games of the series. Fatigue makes cowards of, of us all. It gets us into a mindset where we're not thinking, you know, as, as sharply as we should be thinking. And remember, after he set the game in overtime, he airballed, you know, a, a jumper that could have whatever tied it or won it at the very end there. So, um, uh, but but I think they've got something to show themselves, to show the world that, that you know, healthy and whole, they're going to come in and do Now, it's still some question as to how much, you know, the, the, the new additions, you know, Ben Simmons, how much he's going to bring to the table. What has he got? I mean, the back, all this stuff that's going on now, how much they can get that chemistry together in a short period of time. They're not going to have a whole lot of time to develop some, some really, really kind of kind of uh, championship caliber chemistry. So that to me could play in the Bucks' favor, but still you look at them on paper and uh, they kind of scare me more than anybody right now. Uh, uh, any team with KD is going to scare you. Philly is interesting because they, they've had Embiid guard Giannis a lot of matchups yeah. in the past. And I feel like Giannis has solved pretty much every individual matchup. Like we're like Boston, I think would tell itself, we've got three, four guys we could put on Giannis and feel like not terrible about it. Grant Williams and Al Horford and Robert Williams. Right. Horford was like the Giannis antidote, but that's like four years ago now. He solved that one a long time ago. Time Lord, that's going to be tough for him. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. But I, I I still feel like I would pick the Bucks. Um, to win these. I love that they're still bitter about the Raptors. I just thought you win a championship, you forget all that. They're still upset about that? Well, we were up to love. We were just kind of waltzing our way into the into the NBA Finals and up to love. And and, and they go to uh, to Toronto for game three. I was talking to Chris about it. I told you. And yeah, I think he, he missed a... Uh, we, we didn't play well game three. He missed a shot that could have won the game right toward the end of regulation or whatever it was. And just to be so close. And so... Um, yeah, but no, they, you know, they wouldn't probably admit it like as readily as Chris talked about it with me. But I know for a fact that there is still some. some I some, feel some, like some, that's a bad sign for the rest of the East. Like they're not resting on their laurels of having won the title. Wow. Like they're hungry. Well, and that's the thing. When, when you ask these guys and you talk to them, just kind of even on the on the down low, away from the away from interviews and all that, just about a champion. How does it feel? And and it's like. They're not even. It's if Chris made a comment to me. What was his comment? It's like you know he doesn't even think about it. It's like it's like this is a whole new year that was last year that has nothing to do with this year. And and that's kind of their approach mentally. And that's and that's credit to the coaching staff. And that's where uh, Coach Budenholzer doesn't get enough credit in terms of what he does with this team and their mental approach, developing good habits, all these cliche terms that that coaches throw out. This team lives, and I've watched them all the time in practice. How hard they go at each other. They, they maintained the competitive spirit. Taylor Jenkins was the guy that, that orchestrated a lot of that when he was here. And you can see what it's done for Memphis in terms of what he brought uh, to them as a coach. And now you got other coaches, Charles Lee and, 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 and Darvin Ham and, and uh, Patrick St. Andrews. They're, they're, you know, they're taking up the, uh, the void that Taylor left. But it's still that same type of atmosphere, that same competitive spirit, and that same kind of what have you done for me lately mindset that you need to at least have a chance to repeat. It's not going to be no, easy. It's always, no. you know, you know, that's why it hadn't happened in a while. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough. But if anybody can do it, these under the radar bucks, which is a good thing, these under the radar bucks, not talked about a whole lot of bucks. Giannis third in the MVP conversation. You know, he's got, you know, trust me, he's got some stuff to prove too. Giannis is a very prideful young man that wants to show that 
you know, yeah, Jokic had a great year last year, but look at my numbers and look at my numbers this year. Last question. It's the most important one I'm going to ask you before we let you go. What do I need to know? And what do you know about this White Men Can't Jump remake? Because you are in the original White Men Can't Jump as an iconic role. Do we? Do you know any? If they approach you, are you going to be in it in a cameo? I'm, I'm viscerally, my first gut reaction is like, no, do not mess with it. Don't touch it. It was perfect as it was. But tell, if you can sell me on it, if you know something about it, let me know. Yeah, no, I, I wish I knew. I mean, the first I got wind of the new director, Cal Matic, I, I forgot the guy's name, but but my sons told me that they were going to start a some type of social media campaign to get me some some running there. So, so I don't know, man. It, it'd be nice to be able to have a cameo, reprise a role in some fashion. But, no, it's not, um, it would not be nice. It should be required. You, If they're going to yeah, make well, this movie and it's going to be any good and accepted by old people like me, you got to be yeah, in it. Yeah, you know, Raymond gets religion. Who knows? I mean, I don't know. You, 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 <laughs> could, you could play with that character and have him you know, totally 180 degree, degree different than what he was. But I, I'm interested to see just the casting and how it kind of plays out. This is the 30-year anniversary. And wow. uh, I think I'm doing something next week with ESPN just to kind of kind of acknowledge that. Wow, so. 30 years. All right, Marcus Johnson, you just all-time player, all-time broadcaster. Thanks for spending a little time with us, and we'll, we'll probably check in with you, hopefully, as the Bucks make a long playoff run. But thanks for your time. Always a pleasure, man. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.